All right. Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. Welcome. And as Brian said, if you're a guest, we're so glad you found us. We've been hiding out at this school for like 27 years, and I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're here. Glad you found us. Uh, we're going to take a few weeks, two or three weeks in February in the midst of our normal service and kind of give some more highlights and updates on the property and specifically the all-in uh, campaign that we did a little over a year ago. Um, you guys are I think the kids call it killing it, right? I think you guys are killing it. Uh, the way the offerings have come in, we're financing this. Uh, so we're excited to give you some updates as well as invite others to join us in that. So that'll be in February. Uh, we'll give you some more updates as we get closer. But it is exciting to see the pictures. Uh, and it's just as exciting, maybe more so, to see you here with us, to see a full house, people joining us online. We're so grateful that we get to do this. Amen? Here's what we know. Say it with me. God is good. His mercies are undeserved. His grace unearned. And his love is unconditional. And we see that story play out through all the pages of Scripture. From the Old Testament stories that sometimes are hard to understand and figure out to the teachings of the New Testament when the Apostle Paul addresses us, the church, very specifically. We see these truths taught. We see them examples for us, lived out. And this morning, as we're in our study in the uh, Old Testament book of Nehemiah, uh, we see again how God is faithful to his people because God has a mission. God has a work. God is on to something, and we are invited to participate with that. Uh, I, I'll do a quick review. I can't do this every week because it takes time. Uh, there's notes online. You can see the thing there. You can scan that in and get to the sermon notes and follow along either now or later in the week. Uh, this is the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, rebelling against God, not trusting him, not believing him. We're finally under discipline in what's called the 70-year captivity. Uh, now, after that 70 years, the people are coming back. But as I said before, they're not just like one day, it's over, we get to go home, and everything's back to normal. Remember that? We've kind of gone through this thing the last couple of years. I think a lot of people are expecting that there's going to be a switch that's flipped, and everything will feel like 2018, 19. Ain't going to happen. And actually, we don't want that to happen. We want it to be better. We want to lean into God's promises for the future he has for us. So as they're coming back, it's not always easy. It takes a few years for them to come back. In Nehemiah, we're at what's called the third wave of the return. There's only three uh, waves given to us. Uh, members Rebel, Ezra, and now Nehemiah. He brings back this last group of people specifically to build up the walls around the city of Jerusalem. They were destroyed 70 plus years ago. And a wall in an ancient city like this is a big deal. Don't think political wall today. Take that out of your mind. The wall for, them, for these people gave them an identity. It clarified who they were. It gave them protection. It gave them a military strength. And so it was a big deal. And it was all part of God's design that he gave them a place. He gave them a, a specific piece of land that was theirs. And uh, under discipline, they're now coming back and re re restating and restoring this place that's made for them. And so Nehemiah does... Uh, he does what's on his heart. 
He's overwhelmed when he hears a story of my city. By the way, a city he probably had never been to, probably hadn't grown up in that city. But now he's heard about Jerusalem um, as he's still uh, in captivity, in the place of captivity. And for him to return, uh, his heart is heavy because the wall isn't there. You remember a couple, last week we looked at the story of, 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 of the grief that he felt and the sadness that overcame him. And so before the king, he served as a cupbearer, which is a very important role. And the king noticed his sadness. And to be sad before the king was not a good thing. The king wasn't a, a tender-hearted, let's talk about your feelings. The king was, we have a job to do, and I don't have time for this. And so he could actually be in trouble. And so Nehemiah felt the angst of that, but he confessed. He said, King, why can't I, why wouldn't I be sad? The place of my people, the place that we come from, it's not done, it's not ready, it's defenseless. Their identity has not yet been secured. And so the king said, you know what? Go take care of it. And so he gave them blessing, and we're going to see in our passage today how that begins to unfold and the wall uh, begins to be built. We're talking about God's good work. We're talking about the fact that God is up to something. Would you, would you agree that God is up to something? Yeah, God has never uh, pulled out. God has never said, even during that 70 years, there's quite a bit in the Old Testament what happens during that 70 years. The lessons learned, the, the cry, uh, the heart that's changed of his people. God's never silent. He's never withdrawn. He hasn't looked at you and said, you know, I've given you a few chances. I'm going to pull out of this one. He never does that. He's always active. God is at work. And so we see the faithfulness of God's work. And we're going to see this morning the goodness of that. God's good hand. Look at God's good hand. We're going to see this, that phrase several times in the passage, the goodness of God. That's why I start by saying we can know that. I hope you know that. I hope you're living in the goodness of God. Doesn't mean life's perfect. Doesn't mean there's not some, some pain and some struggles and some challenges. It does mean that God is always good, and we start with that. Let's look at God's good hand. In Nehemiah chapter 2, if you have your Bible, join me there, or go online. And in Nehemiah 2, we're going to pick it up. We left off last week in verse 6. So Nehemiah is now before the king. I said to the king in verse 7, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me uh, to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, here we go, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And so as Nehemiah is telling the story, we think that Ezra might have been the one that actually wrote this for us. But as Nehemiah is saying the story, I go before the king and say, and the king's saying, yeah, you ought to go home and take care of that. And so, so Nehemiah says, you know what you could do for me? <laughs> you could give me favor. You could help me because you don't just wander from province to province during this time. You don't just cross over someone's land and wave and, and keep going. You're always a threat. There's always political unrest. Uh, this good hand that was upon him is, 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 is the goodness of God manifested in very practical ways. And I hope that you see the goodness of the same God that we worship in very practical ways in our lives. In Romans 8, Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That doesn't mean every day feels great. 
doesn't mean that every experience is high and emotional and full of joy. Sometimes life is really hard. But I can know that the goodness of God, he's always at work and good things are happening. So what does favor look like? For him to say that the good hand of God was upon me, what does favor look like? I'll often use that in a prayer. God, thank you for your favor. Thank you for having favor as we, as we build a building, as we invite people to, to join us, as we do this thing and we pray for others. Well, in this case, uh, favor looked like a letter from the king. Isn't that wild? God chose to use this king. By the way, wasn't one of God's people, uh, but he's under God because everybody is. God used a letter from a king. Favor looked like officers that were sent along. Nehemiah didn't go by himself. He didn't grab a few dozen uh, Jewish people and say, hey, it's time for us to go back to the land. Join me. He had with him a letter from the king. He had high officials with him. These would be important, powerful, probably people of resource, people of significance. He had horsemen with him. This would be the might of the armed forces. There was nothing more the king could do other than go himself. So he sent all these resources. He loaded up Nehemiah to go back. What does favor look like? It looks like the good hand of God. Here's what I think would happen today. Most of us would miss the fact that the king played a part in God's activity. We sometimes assume that God's only activity is through the Christian person in front of us, through the Christian authority in my life, through the Christian person I go to or my family or whoever. We sometimes think God only works through really good, honest, moral Christian people. And if you know your Bible, you know there's plenty of stories where God uses the mess of the world, the messed up people of the world, ultimately for his good. If you'll let me pause for just a moment and do a pastoral moment, I would love for the church of Jesus Christ in 2022 to stand up and step up and say, you know what? We as a church in a nation like ours, we have a government that is actually a safe place. We have a government that allows us to be here. No one says that. We don't like somebody. We don't like something about a government. And we feel like we're morally high to say horrible things about the fact that God, to this day, so far, has kept us in a nation where you and I, in this very live moment, are worshiping the God of the universe in a public school building. Week after week after week. Yeah, masks and all that stuff, I get it, I can't answer all that. But I just am so amazed that we live in a place where we still get to be God's people, actively uh, professing and confessing our faith publicly. We live in a place that's blessed. Wouldn't it be awesome if we took the high road on that argument? Wouldn't it be awesome if we began to, and I guess I'm, this isn't political, please don't, don't misunderstand me. But I just want us to see God's favor for Nehemiah was a pagan king said, yeah, why don't you go ahead and do this? And for 250 years, we've lived in a place where there's been this letter that says, yeah, just live for God how you want. And we get to do that. Am I right? Can you say thank you, God, to that right there? Amen. We are blessed because of that. Not about perfection. Not about ideal. Not about everything's wonderful. But please, let's stop and realize that God has blessed us. And we continue to worship him in a, in a culture, in a country that allows that. 
There's places today, and you know the stories, you know the stats. I don't want this pastoral moment to go too long, but there's underground churches in this day and age. There's churches in India that are being burned. There's pastors that are being killed. I remember when we walked the streets of Bangkok and we, and we were directed to look down this side of the main road and it was a dark, literally a dark place where you literally saw what's known as the red light district. And you thought of how the Christians are trying to live in such a way to minister to people that are so messed up and so broken and the horrible situations around our planet. What I'm saying is we're still here. God's not done with us. His good hand is on us. I cannot wait for us to have a, a building that has our name on it and we get to manage and, 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 and use that resource. But I'm as excited as I am about that, I'm, I'm more concerned about us, that we're a people that are ready for that kind of a great resource and not feeling like, well, finally, we're not under someone's thumb. Back to here. <laughs> favor. We're under God's favor. You are blessed of God. If I could sit with every one of you for 10 minutes and hear the hard things you're going through and the challenges you're facing, we would end that conversation by realizing, do you realize you're still under God's good care and the favor of the king is still going before us? I love that about what God has done for us. Well, true to the text, trouble is never far away. Again, we're not in heaven, gang. This isn't the final, this isn't the final place. We're not in heaven. So trouble is never far away. Verse 10, but when Sanballat and Tobiah heard of this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. All right, those of you on the other side, you can say, well, see, there you go. There's people of government that are wanting to stop that. All right, I get that. That's, that's the reality. Trouble is never far away. These guys from probably Samaria were not in favor of Judah being rebuilt again and, and finding uh, the, the, the favor of God. And so these two characters that we're going to read more about, Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, Sanballat was a Moabite. Remember Ruth the Moabite? Uh, this is not a, a, a Jewish person. It's not a, uh, someone from the uh, people of Israel. Um, they would be unfriendly towards God's people. He was the governor, probably, of Samaria, which was just north of Judah. Uh, Tobiah was an Ammonite. Uh, he would be one that was east of the Jordan River in that area we, we consider wilderness at times. So Sanballat and Tobiah are like, wait, wait, we're not happy about this. We're not excited that God's people are like coming back and reclaiming their thing. And that great how the passage uh, is so clear in how it speaks of that. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And we're like, what's your problem? What's your beef, man? A, these are the people of Israel, God's chosen people that he has favor on. And now you want to go against the person who's coming to aid them? Not a good place to be, by the way, then. Uh, and I would say even today. Probably these two guys were part of, if you remember our study in Ezra, Ezra chapter 4, when the work was stopped for a prolonged period of time, they were probably a part of that as well. So trouble's never far away. We're going to come back to these in just a moment. But let's stay with God's good plan. Part of God's good plan is he sent uh, Nehemiah on a reconnaissance mission. And so Nehemiah, he arrives in Jerusalem after a several month journey. And in verse number uh, 11, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one 
uh, what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. You know, as a leader, you can't always just lead in the moment. Sometimes you have to be prepared. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to go ahead. Nehemiah goes at nighttime, and he's going to walk the, the, the perimeter of the, of the walls. He's going to look at the damage. He's going to assess what needs to happen. He hadn't even told the people around him why he was here. He hadn't said, man, this is it. This is what God's put on my heart. He hasn't even told him that. He's just saying, God will take me there. And when he gets there, he begins to do the work. Um, good leadership means sometimes we do the hard things. We do the good work. Uh, he goes out at nighttime. Uh, he, he's, he's out to, there to understand and, and uh, get an assessment of the place. So whether you're a leader as a, maybe a parent who needs to hide in the garage once in a moment and get your wits about you, or you're, you're managing people at work and you need to step out back for just a few moments and, and, and regain your, your composure, uh, leaders need to have a sense of where they're going. Nehemiah was not lazy about this. He got up at night, took a handful of guys and said, let's go check this out before he told them. So the report comes in verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. He hadn't even said, hey guys, here's the mission we're on. Then I said to them, verse 17, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? And here's the call. Come, let us, he puts himself in there, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them, here we go again, I told them of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, what they say everybody? Say it with me. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I love this. I love the clarity and the simplicity of these brief statements. Looks at the land, does this mission of recon to get info on what needs to happen. And then he tells them, hey guys, God sent me here and here's what's in front of us. Look at the need of our city. He started with that. He didn't start with his own, man, I feel bad. He started with, look at our city, look at the mess. The walls have not been rebuilt. The gates are, are vulnerable. They've been burned down. The hand of God is upon me. Let us rebuild. Let us go for it. And again, the storyline is just what it is. I'm not making this up. They just right away get to it. They respond and said, man, let's do it. Let's rise up and build. Upon hearing the report of this mission, they were part of it right away. They bought the vision. They thought this matters. This matters to God. This matters to his people. So let us do that. Uh, let me just say something about this. When God is giving you a place to do his work, when God strategically put you in a place where you can be part of his work, do it. Don't, don't hear the Nehemiah say, you know, look at our city, look at this, look at that, consider this, consider that, and say, yeah, but... There were no yeah buts. There was no like, then no one said in that moment, no one said, Nehemiah, that's amazing. That's a great vision. Have you seen the size of this city? Do you see bricklayers among us? No one said that. When God's giving you a place to work, do the work. Step up. Step out. 
I guarantee those folks that he was talking to, they had the same issues of comfort that you and I have. It might, the TV probably wasn't as large as what we get to have today, you know what I'm talking about? But there was something about living comfortably and saying, you know, can we just leave things alone? This call to live beyond ourselves, this call to live for the goodness and the greatness of what God wants to do, they simply responded, let's do it. It takes effort, it takes preparation. The strengthening of the hand, that phrase, that means they had to work at it. They didn't just show up the next morning at 8 o'clock and found their grandpa's tool belt and said, yeah, is there something you need me to do? They had to be prepared. They had to be equipped. And so they strengthened their hand for the job. Effort and preparation. Rise up. It's a good work to do. And so we see God has a plan. He spoke to a man. He said, my favor is on you. Here's the mission. And he went and led the people. So now back to this opposition in verse 19. So again, these two clowns, Sanballat and Tobiah. Um, when they heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So what are they saying? The king, meaning the king of Persia, the world ruler, the guy that everybody's answerable to. Like, what do you get? You guys are trying to reestablish yourselves as a kingdom, and that's bad, and they, they jeered at them. Have you ever been jeered at? Somebody know what the word jeer means? I'm not sure. I just like, they're making fun. They're mocking. They're, 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 they're mimicking. They're, they're belittling. They're jeering at them. I don't know if you've ever been jeered at, but I love this. If I'm ever jeered at, I'm probably going to, like, take a step back. And say, okay, Lord, do I hit them? Do I go run? Do I cry like a baby? What do I do? You know what Nehemiah did? Then I replied to them. Where does he start? Then I replied to them. Where is the starting point? The God of heaven. Well, I think or I feel. You never hear Nehemiah say, I feel like what you're saying. He didn't do that. If you say I feel a lot, just stop it. Instead, say, Man, there's a God in heaven that created everything, including your sorry self. And that God, let me tell you about that God. And listen to what he says. The God of heaven will make us prosper. Now, some of you right now, you hear the word prosper and say, wait, are we going to go there? Is this like about prosperity and we're all going to be rich and drive Cadillacs? Because No, it's not talking about that nonsense. What he's saying is God is in this. And if God is in this, God's going to do what he does. I'm not sure how my part's going to play out. I might not even see it finish. I just know God's going to do it because God said he would. And that's enough. So Nehemiah starts, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. No wishy-washy. No, hey, we're going to go over here and have a conference and decide what it's going to look like and see what we can stir up. He says, we're going to do it. Like the decision's been made. God has gone before us. His favor is with us. We, his servants, will arise and build. Here's the good part. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So turn your sorry self around and walk away. Why do we, why are we so quick to believe lies? Why are we so quick to, to, to feel or to express a, a weak faith that says we're Christians, but we live in this world and it's big and they got all these things and we don't really have much of a voice anymore? Wait a second. God's on mission. 
God's on mission. He's got something going here. How about the faith of us saying, you know the God of heaven has a plan here. The God of heaven is at work. And if he's called us to do something and he's put his good hand upon us, um, we can speak like Nehemiah. God's going to do what he's going to do. Gang, I got to tell you, I have no idea what Grace Community Church looks like in Flagstaff over the next 50 years. I won't be here for all of it. I'm not sure about the next 10, you know what I'm saying? But I know we got a plan today. I know God's put us and he's put other churches like us in a city like this. God going to do his work. You got to believe it. Otherwise, you're like, you're like Sandballot or Tobias. I'm, I'm not sure I'm happy about this. Well, then back off because God's going to do what he's going to do. Have a confidence. So after Nehemiah makes this great statement, the God of heaven will make us prosper. We, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or, or claim in, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, mic drop right there. He drops the mic, conversation over. When you're in a weird conflict like this, get, get the conversation over. Don't spend tr- time trying to fix them. Some of us today would feel like, hey, Sam Bellet, I just want to get where you're at, man. I just want to get in your head and help you a little bit. Or Tobiah, man, I just want to feel what you're, what, 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 help me understand. Can I be tolerant of your angst and just, man, I just want to walk with you through this mess. No, you don't. Stop it. The God of heaven is at work. And so let the God of heaven take care of the sand ballots and the Tobias. Why do we, why do we even need to expound on this? It's like I'm black and white. We, I think we so easily believe the lie. We're just meek little people that don't have much of a voice. And so let's just kind of slither through and go under the radar Why do we in our discouragement quickly forget to whom we belong and for what we're being prepared for? God's not done with you. You're here. Whether you're like on the younger side of life or you're doing a lot of rear view mirror looking, God has you here for a purpose. Your life has purpose. We as a church, followers of Christ on this planet, have a purpose. God is doing his work So let's not be discouraged and and forget who's behind us. Let's not get discouraged and forget for what he's preparing us for. God will make us prosper, not in the ways that we always anticipate or hope. God will do his work. Don't mistake this. So let's go for it. What do you say? Let's do what God's put us here. So doing God's work is work. And to prove my point, uh, chapter 3, the entire chapter, which is... Uh, what is that, 32 verses is nothing but work. So we're not going to read it verse by verse because we don't need to, but verse number one, Eliashib, the high priest, rose with his brothers, the priests, by, that's the first one he records, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hanel. And so every verse after this, they keep going through it. Just, just scan it right now where you're at. These guys did this part of the gate. These guys did this part of the wall. These guys did this. And so you see the whole community comes in, and they all participate in doing God's work. Point is, God's work is what? Work. Work. Now, four-letter word that we just assume someone else take care of. I got to tell you, man, I'm dumbfounded at our times right now. Are you guys? I mean, it's weird. Like your restaurant is short of staff, and I'm like, how come? And people are out of work, and I don't understand that. How's that add up? I don't know. Again, this isn't political. I'm just like dumbfounded. I was like, why? why? Where's all the work? 
Where's the work ethic? Where's the stuff that says, I'm just going to work because it's the right thing to do? And I, I, It's weird. We live in a weird time. Church, you're different. We're God's people. We have him. We're on his mission. And so, yeah, stuff is, is janky and weird, and I can't always explain it. But here's what I can explain. God's work is work. Whether it's physical work we do as a church, whether it's the work that God's called you to do and the people you get to minister with and the, the hours you put in to prepare or to pray or even to feel and experience hard things with others, that's work. Sometimes it'd be a lot easier to step aside and say, you know what, I'm just going to watch from a distance. I don't think I want to do this. Well, go back to chapter 3, read it verse by verse, realize God's work is work. So let's get practical as we get to chapter 4. How do we face opposition? The opposition is for real. We know God's good. We know his, his mercy and his grace and his, and his love for us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But he's good and he's at work. How do we deal with the opposition? Chapter 4, verse 1. Once again, Sanballat, when he heard the, about the building of the wall, he was what? Angry and greatly enraged. And what did he do? Back with the jeering. So he's jeering at the Jews. Poor Sanballat. Don't you kind of feel for him? Like, what kind of childhood did he have? What's he so angry about anyway? What's his beef? Does anybody know a Sanballat in your life? Yeah, don't, don't point him out. Just... Yeah, but Sanballat's a mess. So he's bummed, he's angry, and this isn't lighthearted. He said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, again, just north, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? So Tobiah is with them, and he said, yes. What are they building? <laughs> he says, Tobias says, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Everybody say, ooh. Yeah, those are harsh words. You're trying to make fun of us. So Tobias is like, yeah, that's your, you guys, you don't even know how to build wall. If an animal, yeah, knock it over. You guys are sissies. And no. So here's, check this out. This is great. What do we do when we face opposition? I mean, make fun for a couple of minutes, but then get back to reality and say, you know, there's real opposition. There is opposition to the work of God on this planet around the globe today. You may or may not experience or feel it at times. There's opposition against what God is doing still today. There was opposition on the road to the cross. There was opposition on the day of resurrection. There was opposition on the day the church was birthed when the Holy Spirit came upon his people. There's been opposition every time one of the apostles stood up to preach. There's been opposition. There's opposition in this room right now. There's opposition as people are trying to watch online. There's opposition as, as a church like ours builds a physical place, as the church tries to live out for Jesus when you walk out these doors. I guarantee, I promise, there's always opposition because there's an enemy who hates and despises you. He's jeering. He's poking. He's distracting. There's opposition, gang. So we don't get to live in this little make-believe land. If I just stay with my safe people, I don't have to deal with opposition. Well, maybe you're not dealing with it, but it's there. There's opposition. So what do we do? Um, well, we pray. Isn't that, isn't that the cool part? That's the first thing that we, we, we come to. Look at verse 4. So, so Sanballat and Tobiah are making their noise, which is meaningless, by the way. But then in verse 4, 
Nehemiah, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Are your eyes big? Like Nehemiah, it's not sounding too spiritual. Can I just say that? Well, read verse 5. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Real brief, if you remember our study in the Psalms, or if you've read much of the Psalms, we have a type of psalm that's called imprecatory. It's a weird word. We don't use it a lot, right? Imprecatory means the psalmist is saying, God, let them have it to the enemy, to the people that are being a mess, to the people that are, that are being the opposition. You simply throw your hands off and say, God, let him have it. That's what an imprecatory psalm does. And this is kind of what we see from Nehemiah. He's hearing them, this, this, this taunt, this jeering of Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, Nehemiah in his prayer says, man, the builders are hearing this. Like the guy's on sight. They're hearing the jeering. They're hearing this. That's discouraging. So God, could you shut them up? Could you turn their taunts on themselves? I love that, by the way. God, could you just like make this one of those cool stories where it falls in on them? You know, remember Haman, the story? Could you do one of those? Um, don't be ugly. Don't be uh, unkind. A mind to work is a quality that doesn't do well with those weaklings that are all talk and have nothing really to say. If you want me to say that again so you can use it this week, let me say that again. A mind to work is a quality that doesn't do well with those weaklings that are all talk and have nothing really to say. Some of you need to hear this next statement. It's the only reason you came today. It's not always your job to fix the person. I hope you're hearing that. Nehemiah wasn't like, Sam Ballot, come on, dude, let's, let's not do that. Tobiah, what? it's not your job. God will do what he does. Whether he redeems that person or that person, the stuff turns on him. Sam, or, uh, uh, Nehemiah is like, we got a job to do. There's a, there's a mission in front of us. It's not my job to explain everything and give unlimited time and resources, hoping they'll, they'll change their mind. I've got stories, and you do too, of the amount of time that perhaps you've invested in someone who, man, they're just out there. And you think, well, if I can just, if I can just, if I can just. So, yeah, you need to make an effort. But then sometimes the best thing we can do is a step away and say, I can't fix that. God can't. Be confident of what you're doing. Don't be ugly. Now let's take a moment on that same thought and look at the other side. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Jesus says, no one's out of my reach. Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because of Jesus and because of the cross, the imprecatory psalms, we don't experience those. We don't express them the same way. But what we do is say, God, I can't, I can't account for that person. I'm looking to you. I'd love for you to redeem him. I'd love for this person in the midst of this horrible situation to find a faith in you. And if you want to use me, great. But Lord, I can't like just dive in that mess and find myself spinning out. Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. I like how Gene Getz puts this in perspective today. In opposing the Jews, Sanballat and the company were actually opposing God. Right? So it's not like I'm, I'm really mad at you and you're, you, you deserve. You're opposing God. This is like, this is like David uh, before, before, uh, uh, before Goliath. Why, why are you guys letting him taunt God? I'll step in. God had pronounced judgment on Israel's enemies. We would like to say everything's fair. Everything, everyone's going to come around. It's all going to be a wonderful kumbaya in the last moment. It's not going to be. There will be people that hate God. There will be people that don't turn to Christ. And though we can love them and, and express and, and be patient and kind in, in the best of our ability, don't get caught in that, that, that downward eddy, that downward spiral of, you know, I just, I'm just in here. Love them. Speak truth. Pray for them. But get back to work. Jesus said, pray for them. He didn't say we have to fix them. Um. And by the way, vengeance belongs to God, not me, not you. Aren't you glad? We're not in charge. You and I aren't in charge. God takes care of that. So love people. Give them every chance that God could redeem them, but stay at the work. So number one, we pray. Pray and live the gospel for others. We can see that one who might be jeering at the work of God, someone at work or at school or some figure that, you know, we feel like has, a, has influence on our culture. Uh, we can see that and feel like, man, it's horrible. I should pray an imprecatory prayer against them. Yeah, maybe back off a little bit and just say, Lord, I release them to you. I pray for their soul. I pray they would come to you. Think and live gospel. Meaning, Jesus died for you, for me. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve what I have in Christ, nor does that person. I wonder if God might want to redeem them. That's what it means to pray and live the gospel. Don't live a way that's inconsistent with the gospel of what Christ would do for them. Secondly, maintain a mind to work. So number one, what do you do against opposition? You pray. God, use me how you want, and let me know when it's time to take a step back, and you're going to do what you do. Number two, maintain a mind to work. Verse six, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. Don't miss that small word, we. Nehemiah is right there. Leadership is a part of what God's doing. Leaders don't give orders from a distance and from a height that's far away. Nehemiah said, we built the wall. He was in the thick of it. He led by example. We built the wall for the people had a mind to work. Let's just be honest. That's what you call old-fashioned, uh, I think the word is grit. That thing that says, I'm going to get up and do the hard thing. Instead of letting my, my, my parents do all the work for me, I'm going to step up and do the job. Uh, I'm going to take responsibility and, and not just do chores, but do a couple extra. I'll be the one that wants to get up earlier and, and get the snow shovel out. I want to be the one that steps in and volunteers and looks for opportunity. This is old-fashioned grit. This is just that work ethic that says, God, you've given us a mind to work. We need that. Our country needs us to need that. We as God's people right here need to have a mind to work. Sometimes you pray and wait. And waiting can be tough, right? We've all experienced that. God, I'm asking. I'm leaning in. Please show me. But more times than not... We pray, 
and we get up and go to work. So if every time you pray, you're just sitting there waiting for God to do some, some big thing, maybe your prayers need to be, Lord, you've given me a job to do today. God, what can I do right now? Sometimes we pray and wait. Sometimes, most times, we pray and then we get up and get going. So here's what we know. God has a good work for each of us. We say this in our membership class, and I really believe this. Every follower of Christ around the globe, as they're planted in a body of fellowship much like ours, has a place. There's a reason I'm in this room. I really do believe that. God has a good work for each of us. God sends us out with his, with his, with his favor, which his favor is most manifested in his very presence. God's with us. When you leave this auditorium and you leave this moment, God's with you as you're one of his. And number three, there'll always be opposition. So we have to get used to it. You have to face it. Talk about it. Help your kids. Talk about it as a family. What do we do about that bully? What do we do about that thing that was unfair that was said? What do we do about that, this hard thing? There's always opposition. From within, without, doesn't matter. So last point, lessons from a leader. What has Nehemiah taught us today? Do the planning. Do work. Give yourself time to say, where's God call us? That'd be a great conversation over lunch with your family, with your kids, with your spouse. If you're by yourself, just ask that question. What is God calling me to do right now? Everybody catch that? All of us. What is God, say it with me, what is God calling me to do right now? All of us. God, if this is it for you, then what do you want me to do? Um, so do the planning, do the work. Secondly, speak truth over lies. When the enemy says, and they're jeering, what are you doing? What about this? What about that? Just say, just turn around, loser, and trust God that the God of heaven has you on mission. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe that we're the underdog. Don't believe that it's that hard. Just trust God for what he's promised us. Three, pray. Pray for others. Pray for the work. Pray for those on the site. And then lead by example, by doing the work. Father, I'm thankful for this passage. What you've shown us is, once again, you are good. Your mercies are undeserved, your grace is unearned, but your love is unconditional. To live the gospel, God, we know that a people, characters like Sanballat and Tobiah have as much opportunity to turn to you as anybody, but Lord, help us not to get lost in trying to fix everything. Sometimes you call us to step back and see how you're going to deal with some, something, how you fix it or how you, whatever you allow but God, what you've called us to do is put our hands to the work. My prayer for Grace Community is, Lord, I'm so grateful that we have a building, a physical place that's literally being built, and there's hands that are working that, and that's awesome. But God, that's not the church. That's a building. That building's going to house us. The church is in this room. The church is watching online. The church are people, uh, you know, 12-year-olds and 47-year-olds and 89-year-olds and and five-year-olds, God, we're, we're your people. And I pray you'd give us a mind to work, to just to trust you for where you've put us. How can we serve you, God? What are you asking of us like today? We live in a world that's kind of messy. Always has been, but sure seems uh, pretty, pretty messy on certain days. And so God, I guess what we would just ask is that you would, you would have favor. Lord, I can't help but just in this very moment thinking of that picture that your good hand is upon us, your good hand has favor with us, and when we look, when we look at that hand and we see that it's a nail-pierced hand, 
a hand that, that makes it possible for us to even know you because Jesus died on the cross in our place. Oh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. May we experience and may we live out your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.